Be ready to put up 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, and then I'm going to go to the last verse, chapter 31, and then I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've been doing and done here today already. And we are gathered in your name, Lord Jesus. And we're two or more gathered. There you are in the midst of them. We welcome your presence. We welcome your presence, Holy Spirit. We welcome your presence, Heavenly Father. We yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are the gifts, first one of chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, and before I go on any further, spiritual gifts is in this particular uh, Greek word, there's other Greek words for gifts of the Spirit, but this particular Greek word is pneuma which means breath. And we were singing, with your breath in our lungs, we pour out our praise. And it's his breath in our lungs, not because, just because he created us, but because he has breathed into us when he breathed the Holy Spirit into us. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now go to verse 31. You weren't listening while ago. But covet earnestly the best gifts, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. This is a little King James talking. Uh, what the most excellent way there is going to be chapter 13 of First uh, Corinthians, which is the love chapter. And what it's saying there is not that love is more excellent than the gifts. It is. But you can't have love without the gifts. You can have the gifts without love. But you cannot have love without the gifts. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. It was a gift. So you can have have, uh, the gifts without love. Or you can covet earnestly the best gift without love. But this is showing when he says, Yet show I unto you more excellent ways the right way to do it. That's what he's meaning. Now go to verse 1 of chapter 14. You see, uh, chapter 13 is the love, and that's in between. We talked about how the, the priest had garment, a tunic that had a bell, a pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate. The, the pomegranate was uh, a reference to the fruit of the Spirit, or the, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, the bells was representation of the gifts of the Spirit. And with love in between, the gifts of the Spirit have a beautiful, soft, loving, caring sound. We're also going, after this, we're going to go to verse 4. Follow after love. That's, that's a word agape. So it's the same word, usually mostly, mostly translated love. But that's the word that's used in 1 Corinthians 13. Follow after love and uh, desire spiritual gifts. A while ago in 
31, verse 31 and 12, it says, covet earnestly, desire spiritual gifts. You see that? And follow after love and desire spiritual gifts. Why do we desire spiritual gifts? Because when God loved us, he did something about it. He gave. When we love people, we will want to give to them. All right. And so it says this, but rather that you may prophesy. Rather in our book means forget that you ought to do this. But that's not what this means. It, It means of all the spiritual gifts that you desire, the top of the list is prophesying. Is prophesying. Basically all the other gifts come in, and, and part of prophesying is preaching the gospel. But go to verse 4. He that speaketh unknown tongue edify himself, but he that prophesieth edifies the church. Next verse. But I would argue... <coughs> uh, let's go to verse 3. I'm sorry. I went to, too far. Verse 3. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. You see, all of those words are positive, loving, caring words. Everything that was shared here today was positive, loving, caring. Even when it was word of knowledge, even when it was word of wisdom. It says this, that when you prophesy, you exhort, you edify, you exhort, or you comfort. Now, the only word in there that even remotely is a negative thing is exhortation. Exhortation means to encourage, see, encourage to do better, encourage to do more. See, it's encouraging people to push forward, to press toward the mark. But the other two is edify, is to build up. Edification, you know what, the, uh, what we're in right now? We're in an edifice. It has been built up. Right? So it says this, built up and exhortation, edification to build up and comfort. In everything that happened today here, met all three of those edify to exhort and to comfort so now we're going to go i want to go to uh when i tell you to put it up be ready to put up uh isaiah the sixth chapter now we talk about uh three areas of the gifts of the spirit that's in first corinthians 12 and first corinthians 12 says that uh says he that administrates wait on his administration or it, and that word ministry means that has a ministry wait on his ministry and then it says and he that ha- operates in the spirit and that word operates is the word energio which means he that is motivated in the spirit it's the same lord same faith same baptism and then the last one is but the, uh, the manifestation of the Spirit is to help everybody. Now what we had here today uh, 
was a manifestation of the Spirit. What we have in your personal life, if you are called into service, and if you're saved, you're called. If you're called into service, then that is a ministry. There are many, many, many ministries, including washing the, washing the toilets. That's a ministry, serving. And those are primarily found in Ephesians 4. The manifestation of the Spirit is mostly found in, mostly, not entirely, in 1 Corinthians 12. And then the operation of the Spirit is found in Romans, the 12th chapter. So you have three areas with it, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And so let's go up to Isaiah, the first chapter. We talked about how when you go into the presence of the Lord and you can practice, God wants you to practice the presence of the Lord 24-7. You can even practice it in your sleep. You can go to sleep in faith. Hello? When Catherine Kuhlman was asked by why did she have, think the power of God is working in her life, she said, because I practice the presence of the Lord 24-7. I believe in the presence of the Lord 24-7. So what you have to start with is the presence of the Lord. And you'd have, you go to the Lord in prayer into his presence. And while you are in his presence, he is going to tell you what you're called to do, and he's going to send you. Now here is something right here. In the year the king Uzziah died, that is not just a a flippant statement. Many uh, people believe that Isaiah, the first chapter, is the sixth chapter. In other words, the the book of Isaiah starts with uh, Isaiah 6. And even if Isaiah is referring to it in his writings, I know he doesn't have chapters, but as a, later on in the book, it primarily is referring to how it all started. And it says, in the king that Uzziah died. Uzziah was a king, was a relative of Isaiah. And Isaiah might have been even lying to be king next. But instead, the king dies. And what Isaiah is saying is, that's his comfort zone. That's his security blanket because King Uzziah had love and respect for Isaiah. But now he's dead. And Isaiah's like, what am I going to do now? What am I going to He's concerned. So he goes into it simple. He says, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He goes into the temple to pray. One speaker said the last thing he thought he was going to find was God. And yet there God was. And so his security blanket is gone. He goes to the Lord. Does Does that relate to us? Well, let me tell you something. Sometimes the security blanket will be yanked right out from underneath you. And then you have to go to him or die. Hello? In the year the king was I die, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He was brought into the presence of the Lord. 
Let's go. Next verse, please. Above, above it stood the seraphims, and one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with the other twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So Isaiah is in the presence of God, and he sees these angels praising God and calling him, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now when we pray, Jesus says, go into thy closet and pray to thy Father which is in secret. And yet, when he gives all that things, all those things that we should do in secret in, in the Sermon on the Mountain, and then he says, after this manner, therefore pray ye. So he says, when you pray, enter into thy closet. After this manner, therefore pray, pray ye, our Father. Did you catch that? He went from you to our Hello? And so the point that he's making, and this is where I personally am 43, 44 years. Yeah, 40, it'll be 44 years in September in the ministry, uh, 42 years here. And by the way, the Christian school was started 37 years ago. All right? And we still have it. We're not, we're not going to leave the Christian school. We're just merging with another one. And we still have it, it just won't be in this building. And Chris Cleveland is going to be the principal over there. And many of our teachers will be teaching over there. So we still have it. So, uh, just thrown out there. And so anyway, I've always struggled with corporate prayer. What's corporate prayer? Our Father. You see, our Father. I'm telling you, He's telling us, telling His disciples, that when you pray, pray this, Our Father. So you may enter into your closet, but you need to remember that it's not you alone. It's our Father. You're part of a body. That is important when it comes to coveting earnestly the spiritual gifts and desiring spiritual gifts. I've always had problems with praying our Father. I mean, let me, get, let me just say, I like to go in my closet and pray. I do not like to pray corporately. That is not right. I am seeking an attitude change. I'm willing to address that. I do it all the time, but I'm com- uncomfortable with it. I'm self-conscious. I'm thinking about the prayer more than I am God. You understand what I'm saying? You know, and I, I, I pray in faith, I believe, but I'm still thinking about, but God wants us to have two relationships with him. One is an individual relationship and another one is corporately. And part of corporately is praying. In the, the Father, it's called, the prayer is called Our Father. Our Father is, so it's Our Father which art in heaven, holy is your name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Dr. Larry Lee, who has a church in Fort Worth, Texas, Fort Worth, Dallas area, 
challenged the church to pray an hour with, uh, pray for an hour every day to the Lord. And they challenged the church to pray the Our Father. How could you pray? It doesn't take, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth which is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. For thine are the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. That didn't take an hour. So how do you, he said that when they taught in the Old Testament, it was understood that this wasn't what the end of all. That when he says, our Father, which are in heaven, it's like an outline. And we're supposed to uh, expand on it. You hear When you say, our Father, for example... You say, our Father who art in heaven. You, 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 you know the word and you need to know the word. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, you have to know the word. And you have to be a doer of the word. You can't just be a hearer only. If you're going to be a disciple of God, James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you're a hearer only, you deceive your own self. You must be a doer of the word. But when we say our father, you put other scriptures, you add to that. Like, for example, Elijah, when he called the prophets of Baal to come and pray to their God. And they would pray. He would say, perhaps he's on a journey. Perhaps Baal can't hear you because he's not there. Because Baal, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's, you know, doing this or doing that. So when we say, our Father, whom art in heaven, we are saying, you aren't someplace else. You're not on a journey. You are up, by the way, I'm seriously thinking about changing the configuration of the church to kind of go like this so that I can be in front of the air conditioner because I'm hot and I don't even work out. Sorry. It fits in with the message in a minute. God isn't on a journey. He isn't distracted. He is there in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah is beginning to realize that God is a holy God. And then there's a next thing that comes into play is he isn't. And it says this, and one cried into the next verse, please. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, the house was filled with smoke. Now here's something that, that <laughs> he, he was so holy. The word holy has the connotation or the meaning of weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. It's heavy. It's heavy. I remember one time preaching, uh, Eddie Duncan, my chaplain back at Teen Challenge, was preaching and he was just 
preaching and this one guy just blurted out. He was brand new at the, at the center. And he says, man, this is heavy. Well, that's what holiness means. God is heavier. God's heavier than anything else. He's heavier than all the planets combined. He's heavier than all the suns combined. He is heavy. It has the connotation of weight. And it says, the house is filled with his smoke. The smoke is the Holy Spirit. It's filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what the temple was filled with. The Shekinah glory. The visible glory. Next verse. Then said I, woe is me. You know, this is at this point, Isaiah is thinking, I'm a goner. Because I have seen the living God. I'm a goner, goner in the presence of this weight. This weight, this holiness is going to crush me or is crushing me. And he says, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So you see, he is, he's pointing out, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in them. And why did he say unclean lips? Why didn't he say unclean heart or unclean? You know, why was it particularly a, a, a lift, uh, the lips? Well, I'll just speculate on that. I think it's because Isaiah is considered by a great number of theologians, Christian theologians, to be the greatest writer in history. The greater, greatest writer ever. Now, part of being the great writer that he was, he was also a great speaker. You see, his number one attribute was his mouth. He was an orator. He was a preacher. He had a gift, if you would, a natural gift of being able to communicate. And what happens? First, his security blanket outside himself is taken away. Uzziah Uzziah dies. And then secondly, he recognizes that the best he has to offer mankind, or the the best of him, is unclean. If that's unclean, the rest is really in trouble, you see. And he's saying, I am man of unclean lips. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The Bible says in James 3, if you can control your tongue, you control your whole body. So so Isaiah was just expressing himself in that way. I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. He says, you know, you think he, at this point he thinks because his eyes have seen the king, he's dead. Next verse. Then one of the seraphims flew Oh, excuse me. Then flew one of the seraphim and said to me, having a live cold, live cold. And it says in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs. So it was so hot when he takes it, he takes it off the altar. It's in a censer on the altar. We know that because that's where the hot coals were uh, when, the, when the high priest went into the presence of the Lord. The censer had red hot coals, so 
so hot at that point that he took it off with tongs. And when he says it's in his hands, it means that the tongs and the coal was in his hands. And it was not only red hot, it was live. It was alive. And Isaiah at that point probably thought, doesn't say this, but probably thought, I am a goner for sure. A hot coal that's so hot even the angel can't touch it. And he's going to drop it on me. And he drops it on his mouth. And he says this, next verse. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched my lips. Or the angel says, it touched thy lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. I think we just had a while ago about problems being purged. Now, there's only one problem in our lives that need to be purged. We can be, the, 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 uh, the results of that can be all the things that came through a word today. Being discouraged, having troubles, having pain, having, you know, having these things happen. And you, it's going to burn up. Well, this was what happened. His insecurity about his uh, lips being unclean, his insecurity about Uzziah having died, and it says the hot coal is dropped on your mouth, and he's still alive, and it says your iniquity is taken away, your sin is purged. To go in the presence of the Lord and to do anything other than prostrate yourself before the Lord is dangerous business. But we can go into the presence of the Lord boldly because we come in by the blood of Jesus Christ. We can come into our presence boldly because we have a high priest that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We can come in boldly because we have access by the Holy Spirit into the presence of God. So we can come in uh, with praise and thanksgiving. That's another thing. You notice the angel says, holy, holy, holy. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's, it has to start with praise and worship and thanksgiving. If you don't, it's not something you have to conjure up. It's something that will come naturally. If you have, can understand that you can come in boldly into the presence of God, it automatically will, will treat you. It will automatically affect you to where you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I worship you. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. What's the next thing on the prayer? Thy kingdom come. And notice what is said here. Next verse. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Go to, stop there. Go to, get ready to put up John chapter 6, verse 22. Because we're going to show something here. So what is happening to Isaiah? Before he can be sent, he has to be cleansed, purged. Now we as Christians come in by the precious blood of Jesus Christ boldly. But but as we come in by the blood, we are cleansed. Notice one thing, though, that happened with Isaiah. In order to be cleansed, he confessed his sin. A man of unclean lips. 
you come in by the blood of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that you're no longer going to be uh, purged of your sins. Now, before you, before you run off and do something, you know, say I said something that all, you couldn't believe that I said. John, the first chapter. Matter of fact, let's, let's wait on that. Let's go to John, the first chapter. Real First John, first John. First John, the first chapter. I'm going to go through this very quickly. And I'm going to move through the whole chapter. Then said they, and then, and then I'm going to go to cha- uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. That's all. 1, the whole chapter, verse 1 of chapter 2. Then said they unto him, what are you we in? John, 1 John, chapter 1, verse 1. Okay. <laughs> wow. That's okay. We got it. My little children, these things are I write unto you that you that you sin not. So he's saying that you sin not. Okay, I knew something was wrong. First John chapter one verse one through the end of the chapter, and then we're going to look at two, which we've already looked at. Verse one. Okay. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and and heard, declare we unto you. Because why? Also may have fellowship with, with us, so you may have fellowship with us, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. So he's saying, so I'm saying this to you, so you can have fellowship with us, the apostles, through the, the writing of the Word. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. Next verse. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. If your joy is not full, then you are not fellowshipping with the Father and the Son. Because if you do fellowship with the Father and the Son, you will have joy unspeakable and full of glory. So what do you do? Well, first, you maybe maybe you need to get saved. (laughs) But secondly, you need to listen to what John is saying right here. He says, next, next verse, please. This then is the message which we have heard, heard of him and declare unto you, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Now, we're going to look at a couple of verses here, which I used to believe without getting the whole picture. All right. Long, long time ago, 1972. I used to believe a particular verse, these verses of scripture, without the whole picture. And I decided, when he talks about being in the light, that I couldn't do it. I couldn't live in the light. And I, that was one of the reasons I backslid. But let me show you what the whole, the whole picture here. 
This then is the message with next verse. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So I feel like, all right, then we, listen to me. If we say that we have, next verse, please. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And leave this verse up for a minute. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin. So I thought, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And so I said, if we walk in the light, he starts off by saying this, I'm writing to you that you sin not, right? And I'm thinking, what is walking in the light? Isn't it reasonable to conclude that walking in the light is not sinning? Isn't that reasonable? Well, that's what I used to believe. I used to believe that walking in the light was not sinning. And I didn't have fellowship with God. I couldn't have fellowship with God because I wasn't living a perfect sinless life. Hello? I didn't read the rest of the verse. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin. I'm just going to be very practical here. If walking in the light is not sinning, why do I need the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing me from something I'm not doing? So when I came back to the Lord, I reread this scripture at some point and I went, oh, wait a minute. Next verse. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. In other words, if we say we're perfect, we deceive ourselves. And, his, and the truth is not in us. Alright, next verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's when the blood of Jesus... What's walking in the light? It's when you mess up, you confess it. Do you see that? You confess your sins to God. You might need to confess your faults to somebody else so they can pray for you. But it's between you and God. You confess your sins and he cleanses us. What is he cleansing us from? And the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? So when we get in order to go into the presence of God, not only do we go in by the blood, but to go in by the blood... We have to do what Isaiah said. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people. That was what he was focusing on. You need to confess your sins before God. And then, why is that? Is it because, I, now I believe the blood is working on all the time, 24-7. All right? But listen to this. When you have sin in your life and you're living in it, it's not that God says, <laughs> Puts a hand out and stops you right there. No, you stop yourself. I didn't hear a lot of amens there. When God said, here's another verse. When God said, whoso put his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. So if you put your hand to the plow and you look back. Is it, is God said, God didn't say, I make you unfit for the kingdom of heaven. It says, you are not fit. Why? You are making yourself unfit. Why? Because you're living in the past instead of the present. 
That's what Jesus said to Martha. When, you know, Martha comes upon him. Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lazarus. That's the past. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, he's going to live. Well, I know that there's going to be a resurrection in the future. That's the future. Now, does that mean we're not to look back in the past at all? No, every time we break bread, we look back in the past. We proclaim his death. We proclaim his crucifixion and his resurrection. It's talking about looking back in the past and oh, if only this was happening. Oh, if only that was happening. Oh, if this hadn't happened. Oh, if that hadn't happened. And when you're looking back in the past that way, you make yourself unfit. It's the same thing when you have sin in your life and you are, if you do not confess it before God, you make it to where you hinder yourself from coming into the presence of God. Hello? I have, when I pray and come into the presence of the Holy God, there are many times He shows me where I'm missing it. And I have to pray and say, God, forgive me. He always forgives me, but I have to say it for me. Hello? You see that? So that I can go into the presence. We confess our sins. That is walking in the light. What happens when we turn the light on? You see everything. All the ugly stuff too. Hello? So when the light is shined upon you, you'll see your sin. And if you're walking in the light, you say, if you say you have no sin, you're deceived. And notice it says this, we deceive ourselves. Do you see that? Hallelujah. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Next verse. If we say that we have not sinned, well, ago it says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. This one says if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Doesn't that sound very similar to the other verse? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And his truth is not in us. Here it says if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Next verse, please. Next verse. Chapter 2, verse 1. All right. My little children, these things... I write unto you that you sin not. So you see, the end goal is you you live more and more for God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and less and less for yourself. Hello? All right, let's go to John, the sixth chapter, verse 22. Let me tell you what's happened up up till now. He's in uh, Capernaum. I'm not Capernaum. He's in at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he's going across the sea to Capernaum. But he's at the Sea of Galilee and he's preaching. And uh, he's preaching to, he goes up into a mountain and he's preaching to his disciples. And the next thing you see, he sees this multitude of people. At least 5,000 men. That's not counting the women and the children. 5,000 men, and he sees them coming. He says, How, do we have enough, Philip, do we have enough money to buy food for all these people? Philip was thought, thought, he was like, are you kidding me? 
He says a hundred pennyworth or a hundred pennyworth or a hundred denarii would not be able to buy food for this. You know what a hundred pennyworth is? Denaro or denaro, denari, denaro, denaro, you know, whatever. One pennyworth was enough to buy ten donkeys. It was a Roman silver coin. One hundred of those could not have fed those people. And they're thinking, are you kidding me? It'd take a hundred pennyworth to feed these people. Jesus, Jesus, well, Peter says, there's a lad here that has five loaves and two fishes. And that's interesting because Peter says that. And then he's thinking, but that's not going to feed everybody. No kidding. He says, bring, him to, bring the lad to me. Bring the food to him. He blessed it. And then he, first he said, have the men sit down. Why the men sit down? Now, why, why not the women? Why the men? You know, he wanted to show that they had nothing to do with this happening. This isn't, they're not doing it. I'm doing it. And so he blessed the bread and water and he had them take it out. And it fed everybody. The word which says it to everybody was full is the it's the Greek word glut for gluttonous. In other words, they were full. And he says, gather up, gather up what remains. And there was 12 baskets of bread that remained. And when the people saw it, well, it says this, when Jesus perceived that the people were coming to him because they wanted to have, take him and make him a king of Israel. Because it says they saw This is the prophet that was prophesied of. It's actually prophesied by uh, Moses. There cometh one, and he's referring to that particular verse. So he says that. They come to make him a king. And he says no. So he slipped away, and he went up into the mountains. Meanwhile, he had sent the disciples away, and they get in the boats, and they go to the other side. The people get up the next morning, and they see that the only boat is gone to the other side is the one the disciples went in. But Jesus never got in the boat, so he has to be on this side. They hunted all over for him, couldn't find him. So they went across the sea. Now you know the story. When the disciples go across the sea, the great wind comes up, and Jesus comes walking on the water. They think it's a ghost. He says, no, it's me. He gets into the boat. Immediately, not only does the storm stop, when he says, peace be still, the boat is on the other side. Now the people get up in the morning and they're looking for him. So they go to the other side. They all get in boats. They go to the other side. And they say to, um, they're looking for Jesus and they find him. And what do they say? How'd you get over here? How'd you get over here? And he says something interesting to them. And this is what he says in verse 22. The day following... When the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no, no, no other boat save the one into which the disciples were entered. And that Jesus went not with the disciples into the boat. That is, that his disciples were only gone alone. Keep going. How be it, there came other boats from that. Next verse. All right. Hello. Next verse. 24. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, 
they also took ships and they went to Capernaum on the other side. Next verse. And when they said, and when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, how did you get over here? Camest thou hither? How did you get here? And he says to them, and when, next verse, please. Jesus answered and said to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, you don't seek me, you seek me not, not because you saw the miracles. Remember what they did when they saw the miracles? This is the problem. We're going to make him king. And he wasn't going to have any of it at that time. Not because you saw the miracle, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. You didn't come over here because of what you saw that who I am. You came up. Why is he answering the question? How did you get to the other side? Basically he's saying, if you had came over here for the right reason, you wouldn't have to ask me how I got over here. You wouldn't know exactly how, but you'd know that it, it was a spiritual thing. Jesus answered so very... Next verse, please. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for the meat which endures to everlasting life. What does a man have if he gains the whole world, but loses his own soul? It says, endure to everlasting life, which the son of man shall give unto you, for him hath the God hath, the Father hath sealed. Next verse. We're going to, when I get through with one, I'm going to go to the next one, okay? Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Did you catch that? Labor not, but labor for the food. Labor for the food. And he says, what shall we do? Now, some people think that this might, was talking about just works in general. I, I seriously disagree with what it, that is. He, they're talking about how can we do what you did when you fed the multitude? How can we do the works of God? And he says, Jesus answered and said unto him, this is the work of God that you believe on him. Leave this one up. You believe on him whom he has sent. Did you catch that? Believe on him. If you want to do the works of God, you believe on him whom God hath sent. See, before you can operate in that kind of power of God, you are going to have to know that you are sent. Because he's saying right here, the authority that he has is because God has sent him. Hello? Have you, you know, have you earnestly sought the best gifts? Have you coveted the best gifts? Have you done that? If you do that, then you will know that in order for you to do the works of God. In order for you to be sent. You have to believe on him. Whom God has sent. Next verse. They said therefore unto him. What sign do you show us then? 
Oh, feeding 5,000 men plus their wives and children with, with five loaves of bread isn't sign enough. Notice it's bread. What, he says, what sign do you will show us that we may see and believe thee? What do you work? Next verse, please. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, now they're getting into the bread stuff. The bread that came freely every day. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses didn't give the bread from heaven, but my Father gave you the true bread from heaven. I was thinking of this verse when Dr. B went up. What did he start off with? I am an emissary of God. I am a substitute for God. It wasn't Dr. B that was walking down. It was God that was walking down. See, when you are sent by God, you represent him. If it was just Dr. B, nothing would have happened. Hello? But it was the presence of God that was walking with him because God hath sent him. That's why Paul starts every letter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And he says many times, whom God hath sent me. Are you sent? The word sent is apostolos. We get the word apostle from it. Apostolos. You are called to be an apostle. You are called to be sent by God. And you are supposed to covet earnestly the best gifts. For the bread of God is is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And I'm still thinking about feeding their faces. He says, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. In Romans 8, which I had time, I'd love to, I'm not Romans 8, but First John, John, verse 8, chapter, woo, John chapter 8. <laughs> I love this chapter because in this chapter he goes into the bread and he says, and he says something similar later on in this chapter as well. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, before Abraham was, I am. What a, what a thing to say. I am the bread of life. Okay, he says, says in them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that but I say unto you that ye also have seen me and you didn't believe me. All see we have to believe the Father. All that the Father hath given me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will. See, that's what you're sent to do. Not to do your own will. I told you, as I get up in the presence of God, I don't want to come back. You know, there's no pain up there. There's nothing. I'm just doing wonderful. I'm just having a good old time. And he says, I want you to go back. No, I don't know. Let's, 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 let's don't do that. He says, I'm going to send you back. You're going back. And then he shows me the pain that's in the world. He says, you're not going back to do your own will. You're going back to do my will. 
And to do my will, you have to see the hurting and the pain that's in the world. Because that's what you're going back for. The Spirit of the Lord is among me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, anointed me to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those that are bruised. For I came down not from heaven, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will. Notice the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me. That of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up and again in the last day. And this is the will of him who hath sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Stop right there. The will of him who hath sent me. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto him. Now he says, you go. You go. You understand what I'm saying? Let's pray. Lord, you have, you want to send us. You have sent us when you said, go in his, in your son's name. Lord Jesus, go in your name. It says, when you ascended up on high, you led captivity captives. And you gave gifts unto men. We have to see that we do not belong to ourselves any longer. We belong to you. And when you tell us to walk down the middle of the aisle, we'll do it. Hello? Under authority. Let everything be done correctly. But when somebody, when it's, you go up and you ask, this, I believe this is what the Lord says to do. They'll judge it. We'll let you do it. Hello? Okay, well, we're going to have a song and prayer and Harry come up and we'll have the children come back. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us, you've chosen us, and you want to send us. You have sent us. We were given gifts when Jesus ascended up on high that we could serve you, that your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord. With your heads bowed, I want you to think of something. We have a slew a slew of people from our church that is, that is facing life or death situations. Nancy Trebo was told by the doctor she has no more than six months. Fred Cleveland fighting. Fighting. For his life. Nancy Harrison is at Bassett Hospital fighting for her life. Hallelujah. Jill Morris 
fighting the good faith for her life. Do you want to be sent? It can be a spiritual thing by praying for people or going to visit them and pray. These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. This is a sign that follows those that believe. Believe what? Believe in God, in the Father. Believe in Jesus, whom God hath sent. You see the power in being sent? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. When we come up to fellowship with God through the breaking of bread, that is symbolic of taking he that eateth my body and drink my blood. It's every day you need to eat his body, drink his blood. Every day you have to be aware that you're alive on this planet for the glory of God. Hello? There's so many that are hurting, that are not even here today. We need to pray for them. And as we break bread, pray for them. Thank you, Lord. We do pray for them. We ask your hand upon them, Lord. And if you want us to go see them and pray for them, send us, Lord. Send us. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen.